Amen. Merciful Savior, wonderful Savior. We serve a great and mighty God. Amen. Amen. You have your Bibles this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 15. We're on the second lesson of a series that we've entitled The Prodigal, the Father, and the Proud. You know, as we pointed out last week, Luke chapter 15, you know, we see a story here that's been preached many times, and most every time this story is preached, there's only one person they focus upon, and that one purpose is that our person is that prodigal son who took all his livings and he left his father, and we're told that he uh, went away and he, he, he wasted it on riotous living. In other words, he got away from home, got away from his father, and wasted everything that he had. However, we need to understand there's two other individuals involved in this story. And last week we looked at that prodigal son, and what we saw is before he would come to himself, in other words, before he would realize his wrongdoing, it took him hitting rock bottom. And how sad it is that many people have to hit rock bottom before they turn back to God, before they maybe come to God initially, but how sad it is that it takes hitting rock bottom for many people to, as it referred to last week, come to himself, you know, and made the decision to return back to his father. Now today I want to take a look at the second person in this story, and that being the father. Here was a young man who had taken all that he had, all his inheritance, everything that his father had worked for his entire life, you know, and he left his home, he wasted it all, and then coming to himself, he decided to go home. Now the question is, and I'm sure this was going through his mind, what will my father do? What will my father say? Will my father say, son, you made your bed in it now, or you made your bed now, sleep in it. You know, we've heard that phrase many times. Maybe his father would tell him, you're no longer welcome in my home. You made the choice to leave. Now you're no longer welcome to come back into my home. Would the father say that? Would the father make uh, him beg forgiveness and then say, well, I will let you back. You're going to beg forgiveness first, but then you're also going to work off everything that you squandered and that you took from me. You know, for many fathers, this would have been one of the responses. In fact, according to Deuteronomy, here's an interesting thing. According to Deuteronomy 21, you know, here's what the father had the right to do to this rebellious son. We're told in Deuteronomy, and this was the law, it was done to many rebellious children. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father, you know, or his mother... And whom when they have chased him, he did not heed. In other words, they begged him, don't do this, you know, come back. It says here, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of the city, to the gate of the city. And they shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn. This son of ours is rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. Then all the men in the city, now don't look at this. They shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall put away every, the evil from among you and all Israel shall hear and fear. 
Boy, they was kind of rough on kids back in those days. Kids nowadays think if you take a belt to them, you're really being bad. What if we practice the old ways, huh? You know, we got a bunch of rebellious children. What if we practice the old ways? But see, this is the way that the Pharisees thought that this should have been handled. In other words, as Jesus was sharing this story, this would have been the first thing that come to the Pharisees' mind. Well, yeah, I know what to do. When he comes back, you just stone him to death. But we're looking at a different father. We're looking at a different father. What was this father's response? So we ended last week. Let's get us up to point here. We ended last week with this young man on the road home. I believe all the way home he was rehearsing his speech to his father. You know, so we begin today with him in view of the home. He come to himself. He realized, I'm wallering with the pigs. Uh, you know, my stomach is growling. I, I just as soon eat the feed of these pigs. Now he's headed home. He gets within sight distance of his house. This is where we'll begin today. Again, I think he's going over and over his speech, no doubt wondering, what is my father going to do? What is my father going to say? You see, this young man knew he could be stoned for what he had done. But, but, we've got two buts in this story. I want to start by looking at but number one. Look at verse 20b. He arose and he came to his father. Here's the first but. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. His father had compassion on him. His father ran to him. And his father fell on his neck and grabbed him and just choked him till his eyes bugged out. No, that's not quite what that says, does it? His father ran to him, fell on his neck, and he kissed him. Now, do you think that's what that son was expecting of that father? I don't think so. This one word tells the entire story. I'm talking about the word but. Here was this young man who had been away from his home. He wasted all his earth and your entire life savings. He wasted his life in general. And here he is rehearsing his speech, hoping his father would forgive him, hoping his father would forgive him, but while he was yet a great way off. You see, no doubt, day after day, I believe this father would, would walk out, and I believe every day he would stand out there in his front yard and he would look into that direction that that son left. Because I believe that when that son took all his stuff and he headed out the door, I believe that father watched as he went plumb out of sight. And I believe the father's heart was totally broken. Listen, when one of our children walk away, it's heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. So no, day, no doubt, day after day, I believe he walked out there and he looked in that direction that that son had left. And I believe day after day, he prayed for that son. I believe he prayed for the safety of that son. I believe he prayed for wisdom for that son. I believe he prayed that one day that son would return to him. Day after day. 
praying that his son would come to himself, see his wrongdoing, and return home where he belonged. This day was probably like all other days, except on this day, as he walked out there and he looked in that direction once again. I believe from a distance that father saw a figure. I, I, I believe he, he, he saw a figure walk in that direction. Remember, he was a great way off. And I believe that father, you know, looked and said, maybe my prayers have been answered. Maybe God has sent home my prodigal son. My son that has wasted his life. Maybe this is he. Look, his father saw him. He saw him. You know, this day he saw that figure coming at a distance. And I believe it's important to note here that the father saw him. Why was the father, why was the father able to see him? Because the father had been looking for and expecting him. The father had been looking for and expecting him. Why would we pray and ask God to send one of our prodigals back but not expect him to do so? Good question. You see, if you're praying for a prodigal and you don't expect God to answer, you're wasting your time praying. This father, that's why he went out there every day. That's why he went out there every day. Because he was expecting this boy to come home one day. You see, the father was expecting his son to return because no doubt the father knew I have prayed for his safe return. The father was expecting his son to return because the father had never given up on his son's safe return. One thing we must never do, listen to me, one thing we must never do is give up on anyone. Anyone. Look, I have prodigals. You have prodigals. We all have children who though they were raised in church and taught the word of God, have left the church, has distanced themselves from the family, and sought out on their own. You know, it may take a month, it may take a year, it may take ten years, but listen, we must never give up on them coming to themselves. I like that phrase in the King James, coming to themselves. And coming back home. We must never give up. Now the next thing we see. He not only was saw him at a great way off. He had compassion on him. You know for many parents. There, it wouldn't have been compassion. It would have been anger. When they fell on their neck. It would have been to grab them. Choke them till their eyes bugged out. You don't know what you put me through. But no. This father had compassion. He had compassion. Notice something here. At the, that point, the father had not even heard the confession of his son. Don't miss that point. At that point that his father ran to him and grabbed him around the neck and hugged and kissed him, the boy had not even said a word. In other words, the father done this, you know, before he heard the son's confession. In other words, confession. Compassion was shown prior to forgiveness being sought. Don't miss that. The father showed compassion before the son even asked forgiveness. You know, that reminds me of 1 John 1, 
9. You know, the Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, my point there is simply this. When the Bible says, you know, uh, you know uh, that God forgives us, when the Bible says if we confess our sin, that word confess simply means to agree with God. If you go to the Greek, you'll see it means to agree. By this boy coming home, his father knew by him coming home, he was agreeing that he'd done wrong. And he didn't have to ask forgiveness. By him coming home, it was signaling to the father that he knew he messed up. By him coming home, it was a signal to the father he knew he had sinned against this family. Therefore, that's why the boy didn't have to beg forgiveness before the father showed compassion upon him. You know, again, back in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, look, as long as, that doesn't mean you have to beg for sin, I mean, forgiveness. Some people think, well, you got to beg God for forgiveness. You don't have to beg God for nothing. If you're a child of God, as long as you agree with him what you've done was wrong, you have forgiveness. And that's what we see in this story here. The father showed compassion before the son ever asked forgiveness for what he had done. He showed compassion. We're told that we receive forgiveness by agreeing with God that we have sinned. So by this son coming home, okay, he was agreeing with his father that he had sinned against him. All the rehearsing for his forgiveness speech, it was for naught. There ain't no telling how many days he rehearsed that speech so he could get it down just right so his father would know, yes, I've done wrong. Yes, I know I've done wrong, Dad. Dad, I know I was in the wrong. There ain't no telling how long he rehearsed that speech, but what do we see? He didn't even need it, did he? He didn't even need it. Here was a loving father who showed compassion and forgiveness even before it was verbally sought. You know, I've had people ask me time and time again, I think on a couple of our Wednesday night or Sunday night Bible studies, this question has come up. Do, does someone have to ask your forgiveness before you forgive them? No. Listen, you should forgive even if they don't ask. Your responsibility is forgiveness, okay? So, you know, and again, we see that example right here. The father forgave even before he sought forgiveness. So, yes, we have to forgive others even if they don't ask forgiveness. Because here's the thing. If we do not forgive another, then we are in bondage to that person because didn't Jesus say something about the way that you forgive others is the way the Father will forgive you? Okay? So, if I'm not willing to forgive someone for the wrong that they have done, even if they don't ask me, I'm in bondage to that person because I am not forgiving them. Therefore, when I pray, Father, forgive me as I re forgive others, okay? Then I haven't forgiven them. Therefore, I will not receive forgiveness. That's a different message all in its own. We'll get to that probably. So he had compassion on him. 
All the rehearsing for the speech was at naught. Here was this loving father showing compassion and forgiveness before it was even sought. So what did he do? He ran to the boy. Now, he did not wait for the boy to get to him. Don't miss that. He saw him as a great way off. When he saw him, he had compassion on him because he realized the boy knows he messed up. I don't have to tell him he messed up. You see, that's another mistake a lot of people make. Okay? We have to tell them why or how they messed up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how they messed up. If they're seeking reconciliation, folks, it doesn't matter. And that's what we see here. It didn't matter to the dad. He didn't want to hear the boy's speech first. He ran to him because he had compassion on him and he had already forgiven him. But let me tell you, when he took that first step to break and run, okay, he was saying then, it doesn't matter what the boy has done. All that matters is he's come home. All that matters is that he has come home. I believe this son had envisioned a completely different response from his dad. Because, again, he knew Deuteronomy 21. He knew about that. He knew what a parent could do to their children for being as rebellious as he is. So though the son uh, initiated the coming home, the father made haste to restoration. And how easy it would have been for that father to go on a tangent and begin reading his son the right act. Don't we do that many times? Because we want them to know how I feel. I want you to understand how this hurt me. I might forgive you in a minute, but first I'm going to just share my mind with you. I think the boy was expecting that. But the boy didn't realize what kind of father he really had. He didn't realize what kind of father he really had. But all that was on this father's mind was restoration, restoring the fellowship of the family and restoring the fellowship with his long-lost son. So what did he do? He fell on his neck. When he got there, now, I I think this dad may have been a little bit aged. Can you picture him running? I believe even if he had a cane uh, that he would need it, I believe he threw the cane down and ran to the boy. And when he got there, he fell on his neck and began kissing him. I don't know about you, But I believe there was tears on both ends. I believe the boy was crying. I believe the dad was crying. As once again, the family was whole. As once again, the family was restored. By falling on his neck and kissing him, the father was making it real and bringing to life compassion. You see, it's not just words of compassion that matter. What matters is acts of compassion. And that's what the dad was doing. He was showing acts of compassion. Now, there's another but. Look at verse 22. There's a second but here. But the father said to the servants, bring forth the best robe. Now, you can imagine what this boy looked like by now. If you can kind of get a mental picture. You know, he'd been feeding the hogs, right? You know? Can you imagine his old torn robe? Can you imagine the the shoes on his feet if there was anything left of those sandals? uh, You know, that was all tore up. 
Can you imagine what the boy looked like? So what did the dad say? He told his servant, you go get the best robe I have. Now, did he say just go get a robe? No. The best. Go get the best robe. I want you to put it on him. Then I want you to put a ring on his hand. And I want you to put some shoes on his feet. And then I want you to get that fatted calf, the fattest calf we got out there. And I want you to kill it. And let us eat and be merry. In spite of the embarrassment this son had brought to his family, in spite of the turning his back on the family, this father's compassion done five things. First of all, we see that he did. He put the best robe on his back. So when this young man left home, no doubt he left home with an entire wardrobe of clothes because he took everything he owned, including the, you know, his inheritance. He took everything he owned with him. And he thought, you know, he had it made. He thought, like I told you last week, you know, with myself thinking I knew everything. Okay? I was a prodigal. And I thought I knew it all. That's the way prodigals are. Prodigals think they have all the answers, that they know everything. So he left with everything that he owned, you know, no doubt an entire wardrobe, but now the only thing he owned was those torn, dirty clothes on his back. And, and by putting on this best robe, the father was saying to his son, don't miss this. That's why it's pointed out. He told him, put on the best robe. The father was saying, you will once again have the very best of everything I own. Wow. Compassionate, loving father. The second thing he said, put, put the family ring on his finger. I want you to get the family ring and I want you to put that family ring on his finger. You see, a ring was proof of being a part of that family. And by placing the ring on his finger, here's what the father was saying to his son. No matter what you have been involved in, no matter what you have done, no matter where you have been, you're once again a part of this family. Again, totally opposite of what the listeners of this story Jesus was telling thought. Then he said, son, them shoes look pretty ragged. Them shoes look pretty. I got to stop here for just a moment. I'm the world's worst when it comes to shoes. I'll wear shoes until there ain't nothing left there. And Debbie gets on to it. Look at her shaking her head. In fact, Sabrina felt sorry for me one time. Remember, you bought me a pair of shoes. You know, she said, Daddy, come on. I said, well, that's, they're comfortable. In fact, I was at the VA clinic one day, Lear, where you at? And Dr. Hassel, I was seeing Dr. Hassel, and he looked at me. He said, uh, you kind of got the best out of those shoes, hadn't you? I told Debbie that, and she was totally embarrassed. But hey, with me, they're comfortable once they get wore out, okay? But this boy, you can imagine, that there, there was probably nothing left of those sandals, maybe even just the straps on the top. So with shoes on his feet, he was now able to walk right back into the family as if he had never left. Now, the fourth thing here is they killed that fatted calf. They killed that fatted calf. 
for minor celebrations, if it was a minor celebration, they would have killed a goat, okay? And they would have just barbecued this goat. But for major celebrations, for major celebrations, something that was major, they would kill the fatted calf. So this meal was far better than the hog slop he was in just a few days ago. Just a few days ago. The father viewed this event worthy of the fatted calf. The father viewed this prodigal son coming home something major, a major event in their life. So what did he do? He threw for him a great celebration. You know, it had been a long time since there was something worth celebrating in that family. Think about that. We're not told how long the boy was gone, but it was a pretty good while. And it had been a long time since there was anything to celebrate in that family. Again, think about it. Every day the father would go out there and just stand, looking in the direction that his son had left. Every day. There was no celebration. Why? Because one of his loved ones was no longer a part of the family. What's there to celebrate? Look at verse 24. Look at the reason for their celebration. For this my son was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. And they began to be merry. Now, these probably wasn't Baptist, because I think there was dancing going on. Huh? Yeah. I believe being merry brought about some dancing, okay? And I, I believe there was some celebration like never had taken place in that family, all because one who was lost came home, came home. He's alive because he was back in the family, okay? He was back in fellowship with the family. He was dead. This son was dead. And though physically the son had not died, he was dead to the family relationally. And you know, sometimes it's more tough, or should I say it's tougher on the family for one to be, not be dead physically, but to be dead relationally. He's alive because he was back in fellowship with the family. This son was also lost. Okay, this son was lost. He was lost because he had been out of fellowship with the family, but now the family was restored. This son was now found. He was found because now he was back in fellowship with the father. The relationship was restored, and his family was once again complete. Look, though we often refer to this story as a parable of the prodigal son. I'm going to shock you here with what I'm fixing to say, but I'm going to show you why I'm saying it. It could very well be called the parable of the prodigal father. Now you say, where in the world do you get it could be the prodigal father? As we pointed out last week, we usually think of prodigal, and it refers to sinful, rebellious, or wayward behavior. But look at this, and you can look it up if you want to. You know, that's what Google has done to pastors. We can't just tell you things, <laughs> and you believe it. You can go Google it for yourself now. 
Okay? But if you'll Google prodigal or go to a dictionary, here's what it'll tell you. Though prodigal actually means wasteful in a reckless way, it can also, in a positive sense, mean extremely generous or lavish or having giving something on a lavish scale. Did you know that? I didn't either till I looked it up. So that's why I say this could also be the parable of the prodigal father in the positive sense because what we see is he was extremely generous having given something on a lavish scale wow the parable talks about the rebellious son's wild living but it also speaks of the father's extremely generous lavish love and this parable is about our father's character and how he his generous love operates in a world full of wayward children, full of wayward children. And at every turn in this story, the father's response was totally unexpected. He honors an outrageous request from the younger son, and he gives him his inheritance. Then his love is so recklessly generous that it allows for the rebellious son to leave. And later, instead of rejecting the son who rejected him, the father watches and waits for his eventual return. And when the son finally returns home, his father showers him with gifts and a banquet rather than ridicule and condemnation. At every turn, the father's response was unexpected. Look here, Jesus wants us to know without a doubt that his father is abundantly prodigal and recklessly generous. And when we repent and when we return home, our father with all of heaven, don't miss this, with all of heaven is ready to welcome us back and celebrate his return. Baptist, you may have to dance in heaven when someone gets saved because the scripture lets us know there's rejoicing in heaven of one sinner coming to repentance. What we have in this story is a picture of a loving father, a father of compassion, a father of love, and a father of forgiveness. And what we have in this story is a picture of our heavenly father. A picture of a father who loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son in order that we might live. Who would do such a thing? Who would do such a thing? You know, in Islam, Muhammad demands the life of sons for them to get to heaven. In other words, that's what's so cruel about Islam. And that's why you see, you know, the, the, these, you know, uh, uh, Islam people, this uh, the, the just left my mind here. These Arabs and uh, stuff who, who worship uh, Muhammad. That's why they they have no regard for life because they figure, you know, if I get killed for Muhammad's sake, I'm going to heaven. In Islam, Muhammad demands your life if you're going to heaven. But you know, the great thing is in Christianity, God gave His Son's life in order that we could live. Just the total opposite. Just the total opposite. And every time a person accepts Jesus as their Savior, 
As I said earlier, there's rejoicing in heaven. Every time a person comes home to the Father, God spiritually puts on the best robes on their back, letting them know that now you have the best that I have to offer. He spiritually puts the family ring back upon their finger, signifying, you're, again, you're a part of the family of God. And there's celebration in heaven at the, at, in the death of His Son, Jesus Christ, folks, made it all possible. Just like the father in this story, we serve, we have a forgiving father. We have a father that's compassionate. We have a father that's ready to welcome us with open arms. And if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your personal savior, our father, our father is watching every day, seeing if you're going to come to him. If you're going to come to him and accept the gift that he gave in the form of his son dying on the cross for your sins. You know what? You don't have to beg forgiveness. You just come to him and say, I accept the death of your son. And I want to be a part of your family. He's going to put the best robe upon you. He's going to put that family ring. We're speaking spiritually here. Don't wake up thinking you're going to have a ring, uh, you know, on your finger, spiritually speaking. And he's just going to welcome you to his family. There's going to be celebration in heaven because you've given your life to him. But if you're saved and you haven't been serving him the way you know you should, every day he's been looking for you to return. Every day he's been looking for you to come back to him. I shared with you last week how much of a prodigal I was, and I got away from God for a while. But you know, the day I come back to him, rededicated my life to him, he spiritually put that robe back on me. He spiritually put that ring upon my finger. He spiritually said, you're back a part of this family because I chose to come home. So if you're here today and you're saved, but you haven't been serving him, he's waiting for you. He's looking across that field every day. He sent his Holy Spirit out there to beg you to come home, ask you to return. Question is, it's your choice whether you're going to come back. You see, the prodigal son, as he was down in that pig pen, wallering in the mud with the pigs and looking at their food and thinking how good it was, at that moment in his life, he had to make a choice. Stay here in the mud with the pigs or go back to my father, even if it cost me something dear. His choice was to go home. What will your choice be today? Let's pray.